Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Just too tired to cough. Okay. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Due to how godly I am, I feel energetic and filled with zip. Nobody believes any part of that. Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors at Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. That's correct. I'm not in Chicago. How's it going up there? I do want points though for the 1950s ish zip. Yeah, there was oh sure, zip. zip. Zip was a good zip word. Was good. You know, yeah. that's very good. To Lee's point, um, I, I not to interrupt. I might have gone with either vim or vigor or both. Vim and vigor. That's a perfect combo. Right. <laughs> sure. Well, Lee asked how what it's like to be in Chicago. It's uh, cold, but not buried under snow. Sure. Unlike. Some of the rest of the country. I got we got a I got a tweet from our friend Kathleen, who I believe is somewhere in the middle. Oh, in West Virginia, which is just a picture of her SUV buried to the roof in snow. Wow! That says, "Do I win? Do have I outwintered you yet?" I think you have. Yeah, Yeah. I I responded that I believe you have. Now, granted, Chicago's winter has four more months to to go to kick up to us. Well, it's you, you 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 know for snowfall you're 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 crushing it. But just for sheer lack of hope over a long period of time, it's yeah. hard to beat Chicago. Well, for also, grayness. Also inhospitable, you know, like, uh, what is what is the word I'm looking for? Inhospitability. Yeah. A human beings yeah. should not live where you guys are. That's right. That's true. Basically, if you read something from Kafka and kind of imagine in right. your brain what the sky would look like, yeah. it looks just like that. Yeah, just <laughs> slate gray from horizon to horizon. Yeah. Just damp. And gray, and there's a cold breeze that's blowing right down your neck. And that's on the good days. Yeah. yeah. We discovered something, uh, speaking of snowpocalypse, this was coldpocalypse. So we, I discovered, uh, unintentionally, that styrofoam <laughs> cups, if you, if you leave them in a vehicle when it gets, like, well below zero, the seams just break. Really? Yes. Yeah. We found seams- that. Styrofoam. <laughs> You made note styrofoam from that substance that they make the cups to hold cold drinks out of. Right. The coolers to hold naught but ice and cold drinks. Yeah. And um, if you leave that inside a very well insulated car in Chicago in the winter, it will just explode. <laughs> so I, I had there for a minute, I had a, a lake of frozen week old Diet Cokes <laughs> sitting in a cup holder. <laughs> and Thanks, Winter. We got a lot of threads going right here, but I don't want us to skip over the fact that Jed dropped a Kafka reference like three minutes into the show. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. And that is, that's real early for German modernism. It, it, <laughs> is that the kind of podcast we really want to be what's right with it glenn that's what is what's right, right with it well we can guarantee way. very few things about other christian podcasts you know you turn to like the relevant where they're gonna have bigger stars sure they're gonna have you know maybe you know more impress more uh, shiny music they don't have kafka references see this is what i'm talking Got about well okay. played sir well, it's a beautiful you know, before any more Different German happens, ones. we're going to move on. I do want to real quick point out that we uh, we got into the Tumblr inbox, not a question for the podcast, but a meme Ooh, that okay. someone thought we should be aware of. I like memes. Yes. This came in with the, the tag from our anonymous uh, submitter. Just thought this should be in the Say That arsenal of encouraging quotes for, pe- for this is all hyphenated. People who should just ask each other out already. Okay. 
Okay. Bonus nice. points for appropriate nerd level achieved. Okay. To put it on yeah. your mind, I, I now you bring the thing, is they found some post on a Tumblr that says, it's the logo, it says, if Internet Explorer is brave enough to ask to be your default browser, you're brave enough to ask that person out. Wow. Ooh. That does not really seem to have any correlation. I have positive feelings about it, therefore it is good and true. Yeah, no. No, it doesn't work that way? No. Is oh. that... Do you uh, take all, in all humor through that, to that kind of lens? Yeah, I, I analyze. <laughs> the chicken it. doesn't know he's crossing the road. Therefore, it, he's not doing it with an intent. It has to be internally consistent, or it's not funny. <laughs> sure. Okay, so no, thank you. Glenn is one of those people with deep feelings about things that are in, political inconsistencies in the new Star Wars. Check and mate. You just um actually that meme. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's which that's leads right. us to my favorite meme, which is the Kool Aid guy wearing a fedora busting through the wall saying "um actually." <laughs> and if you're a white male who spends any time on the internet, you have to have that in the back of your mind just to catch yourself sometimes. Absolutely, right. don't be that guy. Well, Glenn, it seems like maybe it's been a hard day for you, buddy. Definitely, you're tired. I'm too tired to cough. You're you're too tired to cough. Normally, you're... before we start the show, I do purely for the in studio talent. I do a what I would like to think of as a performance art piece. Sure, absolutely. Where I not only cough, <laughs> but vigorously, but vigorously and entertainingly, often musically cough. Yeah. So that we can test the levels properly. Right. You know, and and right. do so that. basically, what you're saying is there's a thing you've done, but never on air, so none of these people know what happens that right. you didn't do this time, and you thought they should be aware. Right, and today I was just phoning it in. I, Absolutely, you know, was, I felt that. You know, I felt that. sometimes you just got to say, "Hey, you know, regroup, get it together, man." Absolutely. Well, would you like a pick me up? Yes, something to kind of raise your spirits. Absolutely. Let's something. do this. Are you ready for I'm it? I'm ready. I'm then braced. I am on that basis. I'm going to declare a love emergency. Whoa. Love emergency. That's oh, right. Yeah. It's a love emergency, people. That's my favorite. A love kind. emergency, if you will. Well played. Patent pending. Love the portmanteau. Super fan, Alan. <laughs> it sounds dirty. Does sound kind of dirty. See how I made it into three separate words. This yep. is meta humor. Uh, very few people can get this. This is gonna be a long podcast if Glenn takes the time to explain everything that's <laughs> happening on mic and off. <laughs> You're on some next level director's stuff commentary there, podcast. You're all just jealous. <laughs> that's it. So, back to the love emergency. Love emergency. emergency. The love emergency. Super fan, Brother Allen, wrote us in with, right. I think, the idea of 2016. It's right. a little early to, to declare something, you know, of 2016, but right. I think he's in strong contention. Leader Here, in the clubhouse. Here's what he says. I bet you could find Matt a wife. Don't like this already. If, important <laughs> if, mm. you created a show called... Hate it. The Bachelor, oh, nope. right? No, nope. yeah. putting my a foot down hard on this one. The Bachelor, See, yeah, we like got that. The Bachelor. See, it's like the Bachelor. Yeah, but, so it's, but he with ends, your you're name. explaining his explanation now. He ends with <laughs> you're meddling the meta. <laughs> he ends with this ringing endorsement. Yeah. I'd watch the heck out of that. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would. Well, there's so one. You know, you know who else? So would I. Everybody would. And I think here's, here's the well, thing. He, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna meta Hit your me. your me. meta here. You don't scare me. <laughs> Are we actually watching the Matchler now? In right life? now, wow. we're in it. It's the True Match Show. It's, That's what wow. we're in. It's reality. Wow. Reality is wow. happening now. That was off now. the cuff, people. 90s. You don't have to tune into the TV to watch reality. 
sometimes reality happens right in front here's, of you. Here's Absolutely. my question, though. Okay, so one of the things that I disturbingly found out this past week is that people who do watch The, the Bachelor... There are people that watch The Bachelor who have like their fantasy court scorecard for The Bachelor. Oh, yeah. so okay. here's what I'm saying is we need to have people that that are they're going to be people that are so into The Bachelor that they have right. like their fantasy scorecard. We'll their be fantasy into it, not a Bachelor team. It is yeah. it is all a fantasy for it shall not exist. It's, it, it's got to take off. I feel nope. where you're going with this, Lee. I you were talking about online wagering and who he ends right. up with. We take a cut. Boom, million dollars. Do we think back to the them and Vig? Are we confident <laughs> enough that we can go ahead and create an open casting call? No. For sure. I think we should. Not on this show, you can't. If you'd like to be considered as a contestant for the Matchler. Nope. And if you and if you wouldn't, what's wrong with you? If you wouldn't, what's sure, wrong with you? Send your application to one two three Fake Street, Chicago, Illinois. Email us. Nope. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not going to give the usual address because it won't. Matt will just I'm the only one who checks that it, email address. Yeah. Let's go with Jed at MissionUSA.com. Wow. There you go. Send in all pertinent yeah, I details. I certainly won't remember to cut that out. And nope. information. Bios. Bios. Uh, nope. what, what do they call the, the, the uh, 8x10? The... the headshot. Headshot. you got to send in your headshot. Because it's 1974. Yeah. Look, send an 8x10 glossy. If you don't care enough about the match Developed at your local photo mat. To have a headshot. Right. Are you even in this thing? You're not, right. you're not serious. Okay. We want okay. serious art. The nope. Matchler is not a fluff show. Indeed no. it is. Okay. Well, now let me ask you a question. Me. I don't mean to interrupt please, your flow because it was very powerful. Sure, you never want to le- leave an unhinged rant halfway through. Now, what's, what's, is this the, I don't, I haven't seen the show. Right. Because it doesn't exist. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean the regular, the real Bachelor one. I right? have my doubts about whether or not that one exists. It, yeah. it, is that where they have, like, torches and things? No, it's a different no, show, that'd be Survivor. Survivor. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's what we do. Tell me. Survivor. And if you win, you get Matt. Now, are you doing that because you think it's a good idea or because you haven't heard of The Bachelor and you want to make Survivor jokes? Let me tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the meta got flipped on you. Put him on an island. Right. See what I'm saying? Sure. Let him fight f- it out for Matt. Fight it out. Can, I've not seen Survivor, but that can't be how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Just I, 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 I think we're describing the Hunger Games. You're flying Lord of the Matt Flies. The exactly. thing you get at the end. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's what we're I think. There's about. still one of those movies to go. I'm holding out that that's how it ends. <laughs> I think what we do is we put them on an island, and uh, you know whoever wins, sure. They get Matt. That's your prize. This is how much I hate this idea. It's January in Chicago, and you just made the idea of a tropical island sound unappealing. Yeah. The key thing is, look, Matt needs love. Matt we, needs we all love. agree on that. No, not okay. all. We, if there's one message we want to send out with this podcast. No. It's Matt needs love. It's Matt needs love. Okay. Now, Brother <laughs> Alan, he's he's a visionary. Right. Okay. He's given us the concept of the matchler. Yes. No. Right. I think we- He's done his part. He's done his part. He's an idea man. Right. Okay. Now it's up to us people. But here's the thing. If you've got a better idea right. on how once and for all to get Matt married no. off. We need the we need the we need the ideas. We need all the help we can get, that's people. Right. All that's right. right. Well that's the first true thing we've said today. <laughs> what you're saying <laughs> But not is, in context. Let's have the entire internet gang up on Matt. I love it. This is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I, exactly. I'm behind this idea because the internet does not accomplish anything. <laughs> this will re- dissolve into a quagmire of message boards and um actuallys yeah. and nothing will get done so Look, I sign off if Internet Explorer is bold enough to ask to be your default browser right. shouldn't you help get Matt married 
that you see, Glenn, you mocked. I <laughs> you painted yourself into quite the really? corner, sir. I mean, I mean, default browser. Yes, yeah. that I, I get that. Yep. Right. But then asking Matt out—that's right. a different. Right. I don't. Maybe there's something about. Well, computers. I think I think on the new machines, uh, Internet Explorer asks. There's like a little pop-up button. It asks if it wants to be your default browser. Right. And it's it's not good. Right. So I think they're they're uh, kind of transmorphing that into a brave person. Yeah. How a brave person would ask, even though the uh-huh. the outcome is not assured. Right. Yeah. So I see what y'all are saying. Yeah. What y'all are saying is attractive ladies. Right on the internet. Yeah, need to. This e- sounds like spam email. Need I to email into Matt and say, "I would like to be your default browser." Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. I want to browse through life. That's got to be somebody's Tinder profile. And you're, yeah. you're my. I want you to be my default browser. Yeah, it's exactly just like that. I want to explore with you on the internet. Yeah. Again, that sounds like spam email. Yeah, or maybe your default girlfriend. Ooh, nicely done. Or your default wife. That's the worst Katherine Heigl movie. (laughs) Default girlfriend. Well, so people, we Alan's done his part. No. We've done our part. I shall have my vengeance. Now we submit it to you, the people. Email if you want to be a contestant on The Matchler, jet at MichiganUSA.com. If you've got a better idea than The Matchler, seems unlikely, but if you do Jet at MichiganUSA.com. Because 2016, that's the year that Matt finds love. See, Stop that, it. That's wow. what I like. Yeah. Because you have to have goals. You got to have That's my goal for 2016, man. Okay. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it up a notch. How can that be your goal? And if you don't like <laughs> that's it. That's not what goals are. If you don't like it, you send it right back to it's me. Free sending it back. Here's what I'm saying Return to sender. Yep. What we do, let's figure out, because what you have to do is build anticipation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You got to do what they call raising the stakes. Yeah, you sure do. Okay. So we have to figure out if, you know, you have to date Matt yeah. in 016. Yeah. And if you don't date Matt in 016, yeah. then... People who aren't you and your wife don't get the 016 joke. You know. Oh, you want me to explain it? No. Well, here's nope. the thing is... Nope. I'm going to cut it out later. Explain all you want. <laughs> That's it, that's of course a joke. I don't cut anything out of this podcast. Went, yeah, in oh nine and then yeah. you went to O ten, but I yeah. still kept putting the O in front and my wife hates it, so I'm putting it in the podcast. But here's Marriage, what that's what they're trying to get me into. Yep. Here's Say things I'm, that annoy the person you love the intentionally. Thing is, we had to figure out date Matt in O sixteen or so and so gets it. Right. You're talking you know consequences. I like consequences. It. I like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just think about you know, who or what gets it. Think yeah. about a sacrificial item. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh and it's gotta be something that everybody likes because if it's like, you know Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna burn this picture of Hitler if you don't date Matt. Well they'd be That's, like, well, you probably shouldn't you have probably a should picture burn that picture of Hitler. Around. Think Glenn, Glenn is parenting the entire internet right now. That's yeah. what's happening. You're yeah, exactly. welcome. With Hitler that. references. Yeah. That's right. Okay. It well, took him about f- 10 minutes, but he finally out-German joked Jed's Kafka. <laughs> okay, so here's what we're going to do. Jed at MichiganUSA.com. Right. Tell us what what the threat should be. Right. What's the thing that hangs in the balance of Matt's singleness? Right. It's up to you now, Internet. We've right. given you the tools right. to solve. No, the, you haven't. You took something Alan wrote in. That is the fact that Matt is single. We've, we've put the power in your hands. You, right. But now you're you not have interrupting to use that this power. show. This, you're not 
pitching for venture capital in the Bay. You know, I've got Alan like, wrote in an idea, and you just repeated it, and are trying to get other people to fill out the other comedy parts. I Look, feel like Matt's just being resistant and hostile. Today. Matt doesn't sound like me. I'm an angry young prophet. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> okay? And on that basis, I yeah. declare emergency off. Yeah, forty-six-year-old uh, angry young prophet. <laughs> well, that's you, profitable. You got to tell everybody your favorite verse from Two Corinthians. <laughs> Look, wow. here's that's the Scottish style. Here's yeah, the well, thing. your favorite William Wallace quote from Two Corinthians. <laughs> I'm gonna bring it back. Tune in next week, and I'll tell you all about Two Corinthians and my favorite Bible verse. That's Copy pretty that. good. Now is the is the bachelor the one where he says you're fired? Yep. Okay. So that's what <laughs> you you would have all these ladies, and then one by one you'd say you're fired. That's right. I like it. I think it's good, right? Punchy. That's, that's what the internet wants. We totally gotta give the people what they want. And then several years later, I'll run a very ill-advised campaign. Moving on. Okay, to our moving first on. Here we go. <laughs> moving on. Oh, Bridgebox. Sign up for Bridgebox. Because that's what allows me to stay employed here and uh, engage in the wonderful, uh, uplifting fellowship you heard during the emergency. Yeah. It's good stuff. You get sermons, songs, Bible studies, and the like. All for $8 a month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox goes to support the work we're doing on the jailhouse and in the streets here in Chicago. We move on to our first question. Came in to our email address, and it says, Hi, I've been wondering about this recently. It's something I am confused about. My pastor talks about being forgiven for everything I've ever done, do, or will do. But I also hear people talk about Romans 14, 10 to 12, and giving an account before God about things. It seems like these ideas go against each other. Could you guys unpack that a little bit? Thanks. And Lee, why don't you start us off? Sure thing. Uh, thanks for writing in the question. And th this kind of stuff comes in uh, you know, fairly often for folks that, especially folks that are sort of new to uh, Christianity, the idea that, that I I'm looking at several things in Scripture that seem to be dramatically opposed to each other, that seem to be contradictory and stuff. And and the the, the really confusing thing is that, that when something like this happens in Scripture and you feel like, oh no, now I don't have a center anymore. I don't know where I am. Uh, if, I, if I can't make these two things line up, then does that mean that I throw the whole thing out? Does that mean that, that, that I, I, you know, I, I don't know where I am with any of this? Um, when you look at these scriptures, it's absolutely true that if you've come to believe in Jesus, he's forgiven all of your sin, all of it. In fact, what actually happened in a legal sense is that, that Jesus was punished for our sin. So God can't actually, when you come to trust in him and he covers you, you can't actually be punished for your sin anymore. It's legally already been punished. So he can't punish twice for that same stuff. Jesus, we see tons of scriptures about this. Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Psalm 103 says he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will not come into judgment, but has already crossed over from death to life. Paul says in Romans, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just on and on and on and on. And then, like you said, there's these other scriptures that, that seem to talk about us giving an account. But it doesn't, in those scriptures, talk about us giving an account for sin. And whatever it means, you know, for us to stand before the Lord and for us to, to talk about our life, I mean, it makes sense to me that in the final, you know, the final rundown of everything, that some of the stuff in my life is will have mattered more than the other stuff. But whatever it means for us to stand before the Lord, we know that it won't be condemnation or judgment. That's what we know for sure. And I think when we look at these kinds of things that that look 
that feel contradictory and it seems to make us feel shaky about the whole thing. Like, oh no, does this mean that everything I've thought was not true and now I don't have a center? The thing on this is to kind of slow down and remember what you know and say, whatever this means, I know it doesn't mean that I will be condemned because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that whatever it means, I won't be judged because Jesus says I've already crossed over from death to life and will not be judged. So whatever it means for God to evaluate my life in some way, it doesn't mean that he's going to pull up my old sins and put them in my face and judge them for me. And so I think with this issue, as with any other issue like this, We have to make sure that we take the time to slow things down and not get completely taken off our square about, you know, I don't understand this, so that means it's time to freak out now, or that means none of this is true. That's a really strong place to start this. And Jed, maybe if you can pick up with us, kind of take to that next level of, um, it seems like these contradict, but let's, let's do the thought experiment. Is it possible for both of these things to be true and be true in a way that affect our walk in a way that Jesus would want? Absolutely, absolutely. I really appreciate the question. It's a very sharp question, very, very wise observation. Of course, the Bible does say both of these things. The Bible says that you are totally forgiven, absolutely 100%, and it also says you'll be held to account. Um, you know, as, as Lee was just saying, those, those aren't contradictory, and I have no doubt here in a minute Glenn's going to break down some more of that. But they're both true. But the funny thing is they're actually, in a weird way, both good news. And, mm-hmm. and I'll explain what I, what I mean by that, right? So the forgiveness, it's pretty obvious how that's good news. Um, I uh, mess up a lot, and Jesus uh, pays my penalty, and God loves me anyway, and, and it all works out. But the, the giving an account part is actually good news, too. And here's what I mean by that. Um. It says in, for example, Hebrews, it it says that leaders within Christianity are people who must give an account, right? Mm -hmm. And part of the point of that is that leaders within Christianity are not meant to just come up with their own neato ideas and go off and pursue those. Uh, That's not what God's looking for. What God wants is um, for him to have neato ideas and share them with people and then have them implement the things he wants implemented. And that's, that's the way it works in the military. That's the way it works in, in a corporation or a workplace. And that's actually kind of the way it's meant to work in the Christian life, is that God has things he wants to see happen, and he directs us, and then we're, we're meant to, to do his will. I think where we get into a lot of trouble in Christianity, you can see examples of this all over the place, is where it's people coming up with their own neato ideas— which tend to have a lot to do with their own ego, interestingly, and then they're off trying to implement their own super neato ideas. If you if you embrace the idea that God has a will that that we're meant to pursue and and to and to try and and work for and implement, that takes a lot of pressure off, right? We have a tendency to look at the idea of being held to account as this really fearful, really, really rough thing. But it, it doesn't have to work that way. In um, Again, in the, in the military and in, in the workplace, having a boss is a good thing um, because it means you know what you're supposed to do. Right. You know, a, good, a good boss says, do this. Make this happen for me. And then you go and you do that thing. You know, the boss is going to be pleased. You, you know where you stand. It, it would actually be a bad situation if you had a boss that didn't have any idea what they wanted you to do, didn't have any idea, you know, what the goals were, because then you'd never really know where you stood with, with that boss. That'd be, mm-hmm. that'd be a bad thing. Um, but the idea that, that in 
an aspect of our relationship with the Lord is that he's the owner of the vineyard, and he says, here's the work that I want you to do. Uh, there's a great uh, comfortability to be had there. There's a great um, peace to be had there because we can say, am I doing the stuff that the master, that the owner of the vineyard has asked me to do? If I'm doing it, then great, fantastic. And if I'm not, well, let's look at what's getting in the way and, and how to do that. Because then that that sense of you know being held accountable, that's not a fearful thing anymore. Um, you know, Glenn is my boss. I don't cower in fear when I sit down with Glenn because right. I know what Glenn's looking for me to accomplish. Right. I have a sense right. of some of that's going well, some of that's going not as well, but I know which parts I really need help on and which parts I can say are going great. And you know I want to help you with that. Exactly right. Were you raising your finger, buddy? Oh. Um, so that's that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a, uh, uh, it's, it's not a downside. So I think if we if we take a broader uh, look at what it means to be held to account, I think we may find not only is it not contradictory of the idea of being forgiven, it's actually a positive thing. It's something where we can derive peace and we can derive you know a sense of of, of calm from it, as opposed to something that freaks us out. It's absolutely right. And Glenn, maybe you can uh, take us out on this and uh, pick up on that idea of good news. This we have a thing yeah. here. One part of it sounds good. Part of it sounds kind of. Uh, knee tremblingly terrifying, but <laughs> yeah. being that all of the Bible is the good news, as you pointed out recently, um, yeah. that constituent part is part of that goodness. Absolutely right. Uh, what we're talking about here is, is really very simple, and it, as I think both Lee and Jed are, are, are guiding us into here, is the idea that the theology is both startlingly simple mm-hmm. And it is very easy to understand, but what it's tough for us to do is to live with emotionally yeah. and, to, and to get our minds around what it means. Uh, so let's take a moment to, to do that. First of all, uh, yes, you are going to give an account. Um, you might think of it as going to court and the charges are read. Uh, and you're going to be found guilty because you did it. Yeah. Uh, but then Jesus, in a sense, takes that punishment for us. That's what he did on the cross. So when we say uh, that we want to enter into a relationship with God, we say, I accept that payment, that punishment that was done for me, as Lee was pointing out, so I am no longer condemned. Mm-hmm. That's over. It's been paid for. Past, present, future, all sin in my life has been paid for. Now, the, if you want to find a yeah but to this, and I I desperately know that people <laughs> really, they want a yeah but on that real, real bad. I don't I don't know why they want a yeah but. Uh, there are a number of yeah buts. Uh, th- there is uh, the, the fact that you can be forgiven by God but still be dealing with the earthly consequences of your sure. past mistakes. Uh, you can be forgiven uh, by God, but other people won't forgive you until you earn back that trust, and that's sure. that's a thing. You can be forgiven by God and still putting guilt on yourself that ruins well, your life? And that's the thing. This is the deal. When we work with addicts, one of the phrases we use quite a little bit is find the fear. Mm-hmm. Now, part of this cycle of addiction is you look for something to be afraid of, to be freaked out about, to be overwhelmed by, and then you say, well, you know what would take the edge off? Yeah. A little bit of crack mm-hmm. or a nice Turns out it takes the edge off most things. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It's kind of the mind eraser. And uh, so that, you know, that... It's also but, a pretty sweet Jägermeister-based drink. Absolutely. Right. So you, what you can do then is to 
um, uh, get in the habit of always looking for something to be afraid of, mm. so then you have the excuse to to use that substance. Wow. Uh, and when you get out from underneath that pattern of addiction, it's about stopping this process where you're always looking for something to be freaked out or afraid of or overwhelmed by. Yet with Christians, fear, shame, and guilt are those three things that people most consistently look for to try and gauge where am I at in this walk. Here's where you are in your walk. You are saved. You are God's child. Right. Mm-hmm. Children screw up. Children make mistakes. Children uh, relieve themselves while they're still wearing pants. This is the process. Parents take that into account. They understand this is how this works. They love that child anyway. They forgive that child anyway. You can't screw up so bad that you're not someone's child. It doesn't work that way. You're, you're, you'll always be that, uh, uh, that parent's child. They will always love you. Uh, they'll always uh, have some form of hope that uh, you'll uh, deal with this and move on, and they'll receive you. Uh, but there's a persistent thought in our minds. A, this is too good to be true, and B... I would be better off if I assumed God wasn't forgiven. I hear this a lot, actually. That um, I feel like it's better for me and healthier for me to assume that I'm going to have to give an account, and that means that I'm not going to be forgiven somehow. I don't know how that works. I don't know where that connection came up in your brain. Also, it, it, you know, God will probably... I, I read about how God disciplines those he loves. That means punish. That's sure. not what that word discipline means, but I just translated it in my head sure. to be that. So <laughs> That's now, the emotional translation. Exactly right. <laughs> and uh, now what's happening is every time I screw up, I fear I'm going to be punished because that's what it says in the Bible, and that's not what it says. Jesus, is, as uh, Lee was pointing out, Jesus took our punishment. Here's where I'm going to land with all this. The Bible speaks to this directly, and the Bible says God's kindness leads us to repentance. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's a simple statement. It's as clear as it could be. You focusing on God punishing you when he's not going to punish you (laughs) is not going to make you a better Christian. Right. Focusing on the forgiveness will make you thankful, and thankful will make you pull your head out of your behind, hitch up your pants, and get going. That's what we need to see happen here. Uh, and 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 that's that. If you want to succeed in your walk, it's it's being thankful, yeah. not being afraid. Well, I would I would wrap up our discussion of this with pointing out is something Glenn pointed out there that uh, really is worth kind of uh, putting a light on. That part of the reason that this reads a certain way, and that's not your fault, person who wrote the question in, or people who get confused by this kind of stuff, because part of the, when you hear people talk about it, they're kind of loudly hinting this way, is somebody here is finishing the sentence in their head. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So what Romans 14, 10 to 12 actually says is you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of you will give an account of yourselves to God. And then it goes on to say, Paul goes on to say more stuff about how it means you shouldn't be judging on other people. Nowhere in there does it say, 
Right. So then each of you will give an account to yourselves to God, and if you haven't done enough good stuff, he will squash you like a bug. Exactly. <laughs> That's the sentence people have completed in their brain. Mm-hmm. Because they have cast someone else in the role of God. Yep. That could be themselves. That could be their middle school wrestling coach. That could be their stepdad. It could just be a vision of an Old Testament Charlton Heston-y God. But it's not the actual thing as described in the Bible. Because when you plug in the actual God as described in the Bible with everyone will tell him what they've done, wrapped in a message of don't judge on each other people... That tends to read a very different way. Mm-hmm. Lee, one more thing on this for you. Yeah, on. just real, real super quick. I love where you're taking that there, and when it also in the translation that we have for uh, that that verse in Romans where it talks about everybody will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That sounds really, really loaded, but it's just a word that means the throne of Christ. Literally, yeah. it's just the word for throne. We'll all appear before the throne of Christ. And it says, Paul actually says in one place that at the end of everything, Jesus is going to bring all the secrets to light. He's going to remove everybody's excuses and all that kind of stuff. And and then and you're like, and, and it does feel like emotionally like, whoa, whoa, what's going to happen? I, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen. And then he says, and each will receive his praise from God. And I think we all have such an emotionally fearful attitude about what it's going to be like to stand before Jesus. But as Glenn's saying, it's it's that feeling of uh, of the kid that God loves stand. You know, the kid that a, a dad loves standing before his dad. It's 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 going to feel like that. All the sin, all the condemnation is gone, and it's just a kid and his and his loving dad reunited. That's going to be the emotion of that moment. That's a really great place to end that. So we'll move on to our next segment here. We have another interview for you. This is a woman named Sarah Zylstra, who's a contributing editor at Christianity Today, which is a big fancy post at a big fancy uh, place. So I wanted to talk to Sarah because I was fascinated. She does a lot of stuff. They have a section over there at ChristianityToday.com called Gleanings. And the idea is basically they take news or they take what's fascinating to me is like survey data. And basically run through a filter of what does this actually mean? What is this actually showing us about Christian stuff? So that could be like they had uh, stories about how kind of people of different ages, specifically focusing on young people, um, interact with the Bible. They had some stuff on like um, do do acts of extremism in the news actually – make Christians feel less charitable towards Mm. people. They had a really fascinating one, which was how do pastors versus people in the pews define and prioritize discipleship? Mm. Which there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. You can teach some really cool stuff. And it's very different from like uh, your normal kind of Christian blogosphere stuff, which is all, a lot of that's really good. And we take a lot of that in, but this kind of journalistic objective, just, I really want to look at what it is. It was a really interesting thing to me. And quite frankly, I think it's something I could use a little bit more of some kind of factual kind of, this is what it is. We're looking at trend stuff. And so, but I was fascinated. What is it like to be someone who loves Jesus, but who looks at Christianity, at least partially for their job in that way. So I want to talk to Sarah about that. She had a lot of really fascinating stuff to say. So enjoy this short interview and we'll be back on the other side of it. Enjoy this talk with Sarah Zylstra of Christianity Today. There are a million and a half media voices out there. Um, So what we're trying to bring to the conversation isn't so much fast news as true news and thoughtful news and and trying to take some things and and step back and tell a bigger story um, about instead of leaping on, you know, whatever happens every day to think about, um, you know, what that means in a bigger picture. 
that's that's especially incredibly admirable in the current um, media environment. I'm sure there's a. I'm sure occasionally. Well, yeah, there's somebody you know, we a, know we can't be first all the time. If you can't yeah. be first, you got to be smart. So that's, that's the plan. How how do you think that that personally for you that does affect kind of your work? That idea of looking at Christian stuff, which is so rooted in tradition and emotion, and we we're all obviously have a lot we bring to that. What's it take to kind of look at that with an objective journalistic eye? Um, it's interesting that you say emotional because a lot of Christian reporting um, to me and secular reporting feels quite emotional. Um, and part of that is because it needs to, it's so fast and getting faster, and that comes with the Internet. And the faster you go, um, the less time you have to think about it or to really research it or to plug it in um, to a bigger story. Um, so as as we move along, the faster we go and the more emotional we get because we're just trying to push stuff out really fast. And we're also trying to get readers. So um, a lot of times in, you know, you're, you're looking for a headline that would um, surprise people um, or try and pull them in. And so at Christianity Today, what we try and do is to take a little step back. Um, and what I'm looking for uh, when I'm looking at the news that's happening is something that we can plug into a larger trend um, or something that helps us clarify part of the bigger picture of what Christianity looks like worldwide. Um, some of the trends that we know um, and, and that we're following, um, obviously, um, uh, Islamic terrorism, but how does that play into a bigger picture? Instead of getting um, worried or upset about every step along the way, how does that look um, across the world? How does it look for the Christians who are now, there now? How does it look historically? Um, and, you know, politics as well, when you're when you're thinking about Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or some of these other um, politicians, how do you plug them into a bigger picture? Um, what does that tell us about Christianity in this time and Christianity in this place in the United States? So I'm looking for a bigger story when I'm looking. Well, it's really interesting that you mentioned that kind of, obviously, it is a business model. You do want people to click and it seems like mm-hmm. looking at a lot of at least secular coverage, one of the easiest ways to do that is to pick the bad guy, whether that is yes. one side or the other on a political thing, whether that is um, just a notion of something like terrorism and have that really cast that in an antagonist role. It's interesting in a lot of the, your stuff I've been kind of looking at in preparation for this interview. It's very tempered, uh, particularly one, obviously one of the uh, the fun bad guys for places like the New York Times, that kind of stuff is youth and those darned mm-hmm. millennials and how they're ruining everything. But you've had some, <laughs> some really interesting pieces about how, um, like, there was, uh, I was reading your one about how kids don't want to get a Bible for Christmas, but that's good because they're already reading a Bible, they yeah. already own one, that's usually yeah. we have surveyed out on that. Stuff about, like, I was reading your thing about discipleship and kind of how millennials actually have a very high bar for that in a weird way, kind of what they want mm-hmm. out of discipleship, how they approach that. Have you found things like that that surprise you where maybe there is, whether it be news or advertising or just kind of culturally, there's a narrative that's a lot of people are trying mm-hmm. to push, like kids today don't care about X, Y, Z, and you're, the stuff you've looked at without that bias has really kind of gone the other way on that? Yeah, you know what, I think... I think you're onto something there when you say media wants to pick a bad guy, and that's true um, kind of of all media, because when you're telling a story, it's easy 
it's important to have a conflict. And this is even true if you're reading a novel. If there's no conflict, there's really no interesting story. Um, and when you're, when you're, you know, a lot of our, our movement in the whole scope of humanity comes from conflict. So um, it's easy to, to pick one and to be really loud about it. Um, and I think that what's important for me to remember as a reporter is that God doesn't make bad guys and good guys, mm. um, that we are, you know, we're all created in his image. And even when it feels like it's easy to, um, you know, split up between two sides and, and jump on one side, usually nobody is acting with general, really horrific malice. Um, generally, even if you, I don't know if you've been following the, um, Wheaton and Professor Hawkins debate, they're, they're sort of struggling yeah. over... Um, we, we, we actually yeah, have some friends at Wheaton the College who've been following it pretty intently. Yeah. Even there, I don't think you can just say one side or the other is, is a horrible person. Everybody mm-hmm. there is trying to find the truth as best they can. Um, so it's important to remember to step back in um, and look at motivations and look at, you know, treating people respectfully as God would have us treat them. Um, and I think the older you get, the more you realize um, that that's true, that there's nobody, you know, hardly anybody out there is trying to be really mean. But I also think you're right that, that um, media sometimes can get down on, on teens and young people, and Christian media can as well, because um, it feels discouraging um, for evangelicals and for Christians to think that young people are rejecting the faith or walking away from the faith or don't want to go to church anymore. Um, and that's hard. They don't want to hear that, and it, and it makes them nervous and it makes them mad. Um, so it's easy to blame it on a generation that doesn't care um, or should be censured in some way. But like you're saying, um, some of these studies are proving that that's just not true. I was actually looking at another one um, in Scotland, which is basically a post-Christian culture. There is not um, a very, very low percentage of people there are, are Christians. Um, and yet the, the biggest, um, their, their demographic that is the most interested in Christianity and the most engaged with it is their youngest ones, their teens and their, and their young people. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. So there's hope. There's hope. Yeah, absolutely. We we have Scottish listeners. Hello, Scottish listeners. We we appreciate you tuning in <laughs> and hearing nice things said about yourself. I think you bring up mm-hmm. a couple things there, which are really interesting to me because um, there is that one of the kind of when people gripe about maybe bad journalism or really even um, just really any inaccurate look at the world, it feels like they're one of the the cardinal sins is looking for the simplest story, maybe not mm-hmm. the truest story. So that's where we find things like. Yeah, like you're saying, if you look at something even like the Wheaton College situation, to cast someone as just kind of the Dickensian villain who's trying to, you know, sow misery and discord can stop mm-hmm. you from actually looking at systemic things or cultural things and actually finding a real story there. And it seems like maybe in that, an actual, a, a true biblical Christian outlook like you know, everyone has a sinful nature, but everyone's also created in God's image, actually helps the journalistic process. That's that's an interesting mm-hmm. idea. Do you find more things like that where actually, I think some people would see, some people would see Christian journalism as inherently simplistic or naive, but it feels like if you actually apply the principles Jesus talks about in looking at other people, it really does help you dig into stories. 
It does. And I, I would say it, it even helps you to find the true stories because mm. um, it's easy to be real surface, um, especially when you're going fast or if you're coming from a secular, writing for a secular audience, it's easy to be real surface. But um, if you're looking, if you're trying to plug things into the overall scope of, of history from creation on, um, and you can see kind of what's going on under the surface in knowing that people are created in God's image or knowing um, that the Holy Spirit is moving and working or being able to see a little bit below that, I think it helps you to find, you know, what's actually going on in these surface stories. That's a really fascinating angle on this. And maybe as we, I'd love to hit you with one last question here. And if you if you could sure. give one thing to our audience of mostly young Christians when they look at just journalism or information somebody's trying to uh, give them a narrative, be that Christian, be that secular. As someone who's inside that, what what would your advice be for kind of parsing out the, the truth from the maybe something less than truth that might be in that stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the first things I would say is to find a news source that you can trust, and there are a couple out there. If you're reading a news source, um, you know, that, that seems to take sort of a... Um, um, more moderate tone, they're they're going to be better at giving you um, balanced information. If the news source you're reading is always kind of yelling at you, almost or yelling about mm-hmm. this, or and it you know feels kind of strident, um, that's probably not somebody that you can always trust. That doesn't mean they're not going to say some true things. Um, I think God can speak truth through anybody, but those are probably not the the wise sources that you trust. Um, I also think. Um, if, if you read something that doesn't sound quite right to you, um, or if you read something that, that you're wondering about, it's not hard to dig in a little bit. Journalists don't automatically get way more information than the rest of the world. Mm. Um, so anything that we find, so can you probably, if you want to look into the study or look up the quote, or even just go on Wikipedia and try and check. Um, it's pretty easy to fact check things if something strikes you as weird, and I would really recommend... Um, that as well before you before you believe everything if something sounds weird alright I hope you really enjoyed that talk Sarah I did a lot we have a lot of really cool stuff in there and it's it's neat to be able to talk to somebody from an outlet as big as Christianity today on our little show that was a cool thing so she ended there talking about kind of as someone who works in news in media who's inside that kind of here's what here's the way they package it here's the way they deal with it what she would tell you about you know checking discerning is a word we would use a lot on the show Mm -hmm. for we talk a lot about discerning kind of emotional stuff and spiritual messages but a lot of that also applies to just discerning information am Mm -hmm. i getting this is this reputable or even is this a place i should be looking to get information from so we want to do we've done this a couple times in our interviews quick kind of lightning round we have a segment at the bridge called the one thing i'd tell them Mm-hmm. It's kind of that thing of these guys who have all been doing this Christian thing, this ministry thing for a while, and have had a lot of people try to convince them that this is the new thing or get wound up about this or end times or this candidate or that candidate. So I want to get each of these guys to kind of give their headline. Here's the one thing that either has helped me or I would tell someone 
when you take in uh, news and media and messages, run it through this particular filter. And Jed, why don't you go first? I love, 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 love what Sarah had to say. And I think the idea of considering the source and kind of looking uh, for reputable, respected sources, I think is so Mm -hmm. key. I think if there's one thing I would say, it would be to ask yourself, what makes this person qualified to speak on this subject, mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. what gives them an expertise or an authority or a sense of qualification that their view on this matters in some way? On the internet, everybody has a view on everything. There's there's a million opinions, you know, a, a million per second, whatnot. Most of them are completely worthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, yeah. we, we were raised with the idea of everybody's opinion is important. It's not. It's super duper not. You want to find people who have an informed view and you need to know why it's informed. You know, this person has studied this extensively. This person has worked in this field extensively. This person has a real expertise here. That's why their take on this subject matters. And this is the key part, even if I disagree with it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not what I want to hear, mm-hmm. even if it contradicts what my buddies think or what my parents think, I still want to give it weight because this person actually knows what they're talking about. Absolutely, England. How about you? Well, yeah, I think for me, if you look at the history of uh, news gathering, of news reporting, uh, for years and years and years, that was done uh, as a break-even proposition. It wasn't done as a profitable business. Sure. Uh, the idea, you know, TV news for years and years was they would spend all the money that they would make on on purpose because the idea was this, this is a public service. This is, and, and they would divide all news. Walter Cronkite famously said, there's two different kinds of news. Information that helps me be a better citizen and a better voter and barn burnings. Yeah. Uh, which What he meant by that are just uh, uh, senseless, terrible things happening that don't mean anything, mm-hmm. that don't point to anything. Uh there's a lot of barn burnings out there. There's very little that helps me be a better voter out there, unfortunately. Uh, and it's the news that sells, not the news that is most useful or, or more most accurately reported, as, as you're pointing out. Uh, I can tell you the first time I was on TV news, like a, 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 a you know, national network TV news, this is the last time I watched news on a television. I've never done it since. Uh, I literally walked into the studio didn't speak to the anchor before it went on the air. And I, I could have told him I was from Mars. They did not vet anything on that. Sure. Uh, it turns out I am legit, so I don't have to worry about that for me, but for everything else, you know. But they should be very worried about it. They should very be, wor- be very worried about it. Uh, contrast that, for example, to being interviewed uh, on National Public Radio. That was like the Gestapo investigating every small detail of my life. I mean, yeah. it was the level of detail. So I think that's going to come out in the, the news that you read. You know, mm-hmm. Ask yourself, is there a level of detail that shows that this has been investigated to mm-hmm. that level of, of sort of the nth degree? And I want to, if, if I don't sense that I've got that, I want to have a news report that tells us from another perspective yeah. at the very least so I'm balancing that off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to have heard of this news source. Otherwise, I take that with a very, very big grain of salt. Yeah, that's a very good point. Lee, why don't you close us out on this? Well, I think as believers, I think one of the things that we that we should do, because as Glenn's saying, there's a whole lot of, I love that phrase, barn burning out there. There's a whole lot of emotions wrapped up in the way the way people are handling everything that happens. Everybody yeah, just right. gets 
fired up and it's an emergency yeah. and we all need to be very upset about this immediately. Yeah, there's a lot of rage porn out there. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I think for, for believers, especially for young believers who probably for most you know college age kids, you, you haven't probably spent a whole lot of time really looking through different news outlets and figuring out how to mm-hmm. take in news stories and how to, how to figure out where I am on this and that. Where am I on these international issues, these national issues, whatever. I think one of the questions to ask is, number one, can I make sure that I do not feel the imperative to have the same emotion as everybody on this thing? I want to slow down long enough to think. And Mm. one of the things as a believer that I want to think is, what is, is any of the stuff that I'm reading anything like the way Jesus was at all? So if the issue has to do with poverty, are they, is the person that's writing this, do they sound like Jesus sounded on poverty at all? If it's about, if it's, uh, if it's about, you know, whatever it's about, whatever issue is going on, it did, did Jesus act this way? Did he talk this Mm -hmm. way? How would Mm -hmm. he have acted or talked? How would he have handled this kind of thing? If it's about immigrants, how did the, how, what is the heart of God like for immigrants? Is this person like that in any way? As a believer, we should filter our, 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 our thoughts and our emotions and all that stuff through the heart of God as he's revealed himself to us. And so I I don't want to just take on the emotions of everybody else who's fired up about a thing. I want to take time to think and run this through kind of the Rolodex of how does the Lord feel about this issue? I think it's a really fantastic point. I'll pick up on that just as we close this out to, I would even probably take that a step further. This is partly a partially a personality thing, but I am wearing any news or any uh, story, any media that primarily wants to tell me how to feel. Yeah. Because that's, uh, to Glenn's point about money, that is an advertising yeah. movement. That's a branding thing. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola doesn't want you to think about how good their <laughs> thing tastes better than Pepsi. They want you to associate it with Santa and baseball and lots of good stuff and have an emotional reaction that helps you jump into that. And to that point, to, to take it back to something Sarah said, someone that wants you to think isn't yelling. People yeah, yell when really they don't point. want you to think. And um, yelling, and she meant that in an angry way. We've talked about that, and I think there are certain news channels who really take that. But the um, the the yelling of uh, impassioned uh, sympathy is is yelling nonetheless. No so doubt anything about that's it. doing this at a high pitch is probably not a great news source. Not to me. Candidates or pastors, or whatever, shouldn't be passionate about things. That's cool, but that's not informational. That's not yeah. news. We need to separate that out. Absolutely. So I think that's a lot of great stuff. And again, we thank Sarah and a lot of good thoughts from these guys. So we'll move on to our final question here. Came in anonymous with our Tumblr box and it says, so I have troubles with sexual temptation. It works like this. I have a spiritual high. It slowly starts to fade. Then temptation sets in and builds each day. I'm usually good at using strategies to resist letting sexual thoughts into my mind, maybe because I've had lots of practice, but some days I want marriage so bad for so many reasons. It's weird. I've never been in a closer relationship with Jesus than I am now, but that has not, that does not mean that the drive for sexual and marriage stuff is gone. How do I cope with this? Glenn, why don't you start us off? Yeah. Uh, as I, I I got this uh, that came into my uh, uh, Tumblr inbox and wrote a bit of a post about it, but the thing about the process of your developing your walk with the Lord is there's this idea of I'm on a spiritual high today. Mm-hmm. I've really got really a really high spiritual high, mm-hmm. and other times I don't have a spiritual high. 
most uh, counselors will listen to that and say that's an emotional high that yeah. you're calling spiritual. Uh, that may be true, uh, not having a chance to really dig deeper, I don't know if that's the case. It could be a case of just, uh, you get really super spiritually excited at certain times or whatever. That's great. But here's the thing. Spiritual highs, quote-unquote, or emotional highs, either one, don't remove temptation. Nope. They don't right. really allow you to fight it better in any way at all whatsoever. Uh, also, spiritual growth brings more temptation to you yeah because the enemy is trying to take you out mm -hmm. now having more spiritual growth means you can fight it off better which sure. is great but you're actually not talking about spiritual growth you're talking about a spiritual high mm -hmm. uh the idea is if i go to a church service or i listen to praise music or whatever i get a lot of some i don't know what spiritually high really means to be deadly honest with you uh but uh you get really excited and spiritual and stuff sure that's great Okay, but that's not growth. That's a different thing. We want the growth is how we deal with the temptation. Um, the, here's the thing. Part of what this person's referencing, and, and, and we all know about this. We've all dealt with it. Uh, but there's something that really bothers us about an area of life where we keep on messing up again mm -hmm. and again and again. Mm -hmm. We go to God and we say, I'll never make this mistake ever again mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you do it again and you know what it does is it really bums you out on thinking that you're almost perfect yeah it really, really harshes the buzz on that yeah you think you're really you know probably like an a minus i'm like 97 percent of the way there man yeah i'm just i'm almost all the way to the to the to the top ranks absolutely and this stuff is striking down my gpa yeah and also, it's hidden. You know, hidden sins uh, mean that the devil can tell us anything he wants about that, and there's nobody else to comment on mm -hmm. it, which means we've we, wow. we got a target on our back right there. So that's a problem. But anytime you have a continuous failure of any kind, where you just the, the, the same thing is going wrong over and over again, it could be the same problems happening in your car over and over again. It could be... You keep getting sick in a certain way over and over again. You have physical symptoms that keep happening over and over again. You, same thing if you have problems with your relationships with people. You, know, you keep having failed uh, romantic relationships over and over again. Any continuous failure, there's one simple problem. We have a lack of wisdom. Yep. Okay? That's not what you're asking for. That's not you... what you're about. That's not what you're seeking. You're not right. seeking wisdom. You're seeking a high where you... Uh, 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 being high is about avoiding reality. Uh, uh, it's about uh, uh, going to a, a another place in your head other than the one that we're in now. Well, mm -hmm. there's a concept, even that of a spiritual high, that it, you will be so fired up, you will transcend the need for wisdom. Right. All your natural right. instincts will be the thing you need yeah. for you have so many holy feelings. Yeah, exactly right. And, th and that's that's what I would land on is uh, we we need to be able to face what we're dealing with right here, right now. We need to to take on the full measure of it, to recognize we're not perfect, we're nowhere near perfect, we never will be perfect, but what we can get is a solid bit of wisdom that will allow us to make progress. Yeah, Doesn't mean we solve it all in one stroke, it just means we make progress towards that, and that's what we're looking for, is the wisdom.
Yeah. You know, and, and that's what these other fellows will give us. Absolutely right. And one of the things that wisdom has different from a high or an emotional state or whatever is wisdom has a goal that is actually uh, achievable. Right. And so that's how we know we're not really quite there yet because never being tempted again is not a good goal. Right. Yeah. And maybe you can break that down for us a little bit, Lee, the role temptation has in this whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the first problems that I had when I was reading through the question, thank you for sending it in, I think it's the way a lot of people feel, is just that I think that you look at this thing from the wrong way around. And what I mean by that is that if I, if I look at the question, you've kind of cast temptation in the role of the antagonist. You know, in the, in the story arc of your life, Temptation's the bad guy that came in and ruined an otherwise great story. And the thing is, is that uh, the, really, Temptation is not an antagonist or a bad guy. Actually, in, in the scriptures, the, the, the word for temptation, it's the, in the Greek language, it's the exact same word that would be used for an experiment or a test. Um, this is, if you can, if you could change the way you see the whole thing, temptation, and this is a, this is a, a subtle thing that a lot of people miss, and it's easy to miss, that temptation and sin are not the same thing. Right. So just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you've actually done anything wrong. Jesus was tempted. Temptation is an opportunity to grow. Temptation, if you could dig it, temptation's like a workout. It's like the gym. It's where you go to get stronger. You're, as Glenn said, you're always going to have temptation. And the closer you grow with the Lord, the, the, more pro, the more of a problem you are for the enemy, the more of the problem you are for the devil. And so the, actually, the more temptation you're going to face, exactly as Glenn said, which means you have more and more opportunities to work out and get stronger. Now, if you go into the gym and your goal is to work out, but you've got the wrong fuel, aka the spiritual high or the emotion that you're talking about, you're never going to make it through. That's not the thing that's going to get you there. But if you figure out how to fight temptation, if you get a good strategy and you figure out, why am I facing this temptation at this time of the, of the day or at this point in every single week? Why am I facing that temptation right after this thing always happens to me? Then we have a clue as to what's going on. In, in a way, and, and actually... I love this. I read this, and uh, years ago, Glenn was doing these series of posts on his blog, which is very popular. It's quite popular. It was a it was a, a series of posts where he was actually writing letters to Satan, and in one of these letters, he said. You know what, Satan, I actually have to thank you, because we've got this great arrangement going where you keep tempting me in something, and that's where I find out the, the part of me that's weak, and so then I get wisdom from the Lord, and I get strategies from my friends, and I work out, and I get stronger in that area. Hey, man, this is a great arrangement. You just need to keep hitting me with temptation so I know where to grow. Right. Keep exposing your strategy. It's actually, temptation is not the, the antagonist in your story. It's actually a very good, this is the gym. This is where you go to get stronger. You've just got to start working out with the right fuel, not with the emotion of a spiritual high. Amen. That's a really good point. And Jed, maybe you can take us out on this. There's lowering, getting rid of temptation is never going to happen. Lowering temptation and the, particularly the impact it can have on you is a good goal. But you don't do that really through uh, spiritual highs. You do that through what you're actually doing in your life and what you're actually moving towards. No doubt about it. Well, you said in your question, you said some days that you just want marriage so bad. And I think my question back to you is, what's wrong with that? Right. Um, right. You know, you want to have a good marriage. You want to have an active and healthy sex life. 
God wants those things for you too. Right. Uh, yeah. the, I, I don't think there's any disagreement between you and the Lord on that. The, the question might be, how are we going to hook that up? How right. are we going to make that happen? You know, God's answer to your desire for marriage and sex is not no. Right. God's answer is let me show you how to do that. Yeah, it's not learn to live with this problem. Exactly right. If you can dig it, this actually ties back to our first question about what does it mean to give an account to, to God. If you believe that God has, to use a fancy church word, lordship over your life, then Part of that means going to him saying, I have this desire. What do you mm-hmm. think of it? Right. right? And him having the power and the authority to tell you, I think it's good. Let me tell you how I want that to be hooked up in your life. It, it, we get in a problem when we assume God just doesn't think the things we want are good, right. and we don't talk to him about them, and then we decide, well, I'll just figure out how to not want them. Or even more so, the, we've actually answered questions like this a lot, not even that God doesn't think things we want are good, the fact that we want things is something God must be mad at. <laughs> exactly right. That's leaving God out of the process. That's that's not letting God be in charge when we do that. So my question for you is, you want marriage. I think God wants that for you. What are you doing to move towards marriage? That, that's mm-hmm. actually not coming up in your question at all. So what are you doing to move towards dating? What are you doing to move towards asking someone out on a date? Um, God does not want you to ignore that area of your life, and positive spiritual feelings are not meant to help you ignore it. Right, um, that's right. This is something I've, I've heard very few Christians say, but I've, I've found it to be absolutely true. God is not going to give you the strength to do something he doesn't want you to do. Right, yeah. Um, you seem to be looking for a strategy where you could just be single and sexually inactive forever, right. and it would be no problem. Right. God's not going to give you the strength to do that if that's not his will for you. Right. Right. There are people who are called to the single life. Not nearly as many as suspect. You. Not you. Right. Not nearly as many as suspect. Statistically, you can just go ahead and assume it's not you. you yeah. know? Uh, if you're not called to the single life then God's not looking for you to be single forever, which means he's actually not going to give you the strength to be single forever because that's not what he wants for you. And that, again, brings it back to that idea of lordship, of him being in charge and getting to tell you what he wants for you and and how that that should work. You want to be married. I have no doubt God wants marriage for you. There are steps you can take towards that. Yeah, and that spiritual high ought to relate to having a burst of courage to ask that guy out. That's exactly, exactly right. Those positive spiritual feelings... The point of that is to give you an extra bit of gas in the tank to take things that feel scary, to yeah, take yeah, steps yeah. that yeah. feel scary and overwhelming and do them anyway. Yeah, for real. Um, you, if, if you want a spiritual, a true spiritual high, take the one you got, mm-hmm. ask that cute guy out, right. then see how you feel. <laughs> you, you, you will feel very, very high at that yeah. point, and you should yep, yep. do that and report back to us. We can't wait to hear all about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Jed's soliciting a lot of random strangers on the internet to email him about their dating lives this week. I'm sure it'll go great. Um, I want to close this out saying that we we talked in kind of fairly eye-really terms about this phrase, spiritual high. There's a reason for that. It's not that there's anything wrong with that. We all experience that. Uh, Get spiritual high a lot of Tuesdays at the bridge. It's a great place. There's a lot of work, a lot of good words being spoken, a lot of uh, brothers way down to worship. It's a great place. And we want them to walk. We want ourselves and we want the people to come to the service, walk out of there feeling encouraged, feeling good, uh, excited to kind of take on the week. But to Glenn's point, far more than that, way, way more important than that is the wisdom, is the uh, knowledge that this is a place they can come, maybe some tools they can use. Because we talk about this a lot with emotional stuff and just people don't want to hear this. Uh, you can't rely on emotional stuff for anything. Yeah. 
because right. it is unreliable. It yeah. is a a chemical reaction that happens and hits and comes and goes, does not come when you beckon it, does not go when you want it to leave. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. building saying this is my strategy is has is based on emotion. Yeah. Not good. Right. We're not saying you shouldn't feel spiritual highs, but the highs come with the lows, we should point that out. But we're not saying that you shouldn't do things that make you feel good or not all that stuff is shallow but it is mostly cotton candy mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. it is very much that it is dessert it is a lovely mm-hmm. thing when it happens mm-hmm. you should not look to it for nutrition right to actually kind of move your way on right. and the good news is you're if you do what we're talking about these guys are talking about settle in have some strategy really work towards your goals um the spiritual feelings and the highs and all the excitement and encouragement is actually going to be way more enjoyable because you don't have to rely on it to do something that it can't do, which gives yeah, it this weird downside. Yeah. All right, so thanks for listening. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. I'll tell you out the song this week. This is by our friend, the talented and mysterious Pool House Guru mm. here in Chicago. This is based on Psalm 147.3. He yeah. heals those who are brokenhearted awesome. and binds up their wounds. It's a very cool track by a very talented dude. So we'll take you out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast. Click here for news about Cat Fights on Matchelor Island. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he heals those who have broken. Takes care of the